But uh, does somebody want to be brave and just try and give a synopsis of what I talked about last, uh, last Sunday? Oh, okay, good on you, Julia, fantastic. Uh, it, was, uh, it was about um, Abraham having... Sorry, David, can we put the mic on so guys can hear, please? Thank you. It started out with Abraham um, having left his home now for 10 years and still waiting on the fulfilment of the promises as he saw them. And he started to question God as to why <clears throat> they weren't taking place. And, um, and he was quite serious about his reaction to that. And so God um, set out to show him and tell him how it was all going to unfold. And he did that by uh, creating a covenant with, um, with Abraham. And Steve then went on to explain the meaning of the covenant because it's sometimes something that we can read and just read over without truly appreciating what it is we're reading because we don't always understand the customs of the day and the times. And so he was asked to get <coughs> a series of animals. I don't remember them. Or maybe mm. a goat, a lamb, a dove. It's pretty good, yeah. Something I can't remember like that. myself, so... And, um, and he brought those and then he cut them in... There was a turtle dove. There was a turtle, turtle dove. dove. Yeah. <laughs> and he cut them in half and then laid them... Um, laid them out side by side and, um, and now I'm trying to think how that relates back to the... That's, fant that's fantastic. Well done. That is so good. That was brilliant. No walks. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of unpack this a little bit further uh, but there was certain um, things that took place in that ceremony uh, which were uh, understandable to Abraham because of, it was part of the custom of the day, but to us it seems incredibly strange when you go to that scripture in, in Genesis 15 when Abraham is looking for an assurance from God that a God will keep his promise and God responds by saying, well, gather these animals together and cut them in half. It's, well, what's going on there? And actually, in the culture of the day, Abraham knew that God was initiating a blood covenant ritual with him. And so in Abraham's world, a blood covenant was the way that people established legally binding and unbreakable uh, contracts with one another. But covenant is more than just uh, simply a legal uh, contract. Covenant um, united or bound people in a permanent union with their covenant partner. And from that time, they viewed themselves as being uh, what, what is known as blood brothers. We've probably heard that term before. And from that point on, as a, as a blood brother, they never viewed themselves as an independent or autonomous uh, person. They understood that their, li their life had been inseparably bound with another person for all eternity. And also, importantly, as 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 representative heads of all of their, their children that would follow after them. And so uh, I encourage if you weren't here last Sunday um, to get a kind of a, 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 a good picture of um, what that entailed. Uh, listen to uh, the podcast on, on our website. And so throughout history, uh, people from many cultures adopted some form of blood covenant ritual as their system for building trust establishing protection and sealing friendship. And it was, I guess it was the, the way of creating guarantees at that time. Rather than signing legal contracts like we to do, do today, they dramatised their, their, their contracts with one another. 
And so in the ancient world, there were two types of covenants, a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant. And a conditional covenant was an agreement that was dependent upon both parties for its fulfillment. Each person or group would uh, would agree to meet certain conditions. But if one party fails to fulfill their responsibilities, the covenant would be nullified and both would be released from the agreement. Then there was what was called an unconditional or a unilateral covenant. And that was an agreement between two parties, but the covenant relied on only one party for its fulfilment. And the other party was exempt from having to do anything to maintain the agreement. And the amazing story of the Bible is that God established an unconditional covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. And it relied solely on God for its fulfillment. There was another type of covenant called um, a suzerain covenant. And this was when a king or a master, moved by love and mercy, entered into a covenant partnership with a, a peasant or a servant. The servant had nothing to offer their master in return other than themselves and their love and their loyalty. And surprise, surprise, the covenant that God established with Abraham was a suzerain covenant. God the Creator, motivated by love, reaches out to Abraham in mercy. And Abraham has nothing to offer God. What what can the created give to the Creator other than themselves and pledge their love and their loyalty? Now, one of the things that we didn't cover last week was that at the end of, um, of chapter 15 and verse 17, we, we see something really quite profound happening, and that is where God puts um, Abraham to sleep. And while Abraham is, is sleeping, he has a vision of, a, of, of an entity that is taking his place and walking in that figure eight, which uh, um, was, was so dynamically um, uh, demonstrated for us <laughs> last week. It was brilliant, George. Uh, we'll come to you for acting, acting lessons. Sorry? Dancing. 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 He danced his way through the, the slain animals uh, in the figure eight. We, we'll, we'll give you a break this morning. We won't ask you to act it out this week. Yeah. For those who weren't here, uh, George got a little bit slightly confused and was sort of walking out the door there uh, at some point. So Abraham has this vision while he's asleep of someone taking his place and walking through that slain animal in the figure eight, which was a figure eight is representative of an eternal walk. And Genesis 15, 17 says, After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now, what, God, what Abraham witnessed at that moment was a substitute in the form of a flaming torch taking his place as his representative and establishing a covenant with God on his behalf. Now, the big question is, who was that flaming torch? Does anyone want to guess? It was Christ. It was Jesus the light of the world. What Abraham was experiencing was a prefiguring of the cross. 
He was looking forward to a time 2,000 years ahead when the Lamb of God that was slain from, from the foundation of the world would become a representative head for the entire human race and establish an everlasting agreement between God and humanity. I'm not sure if you get that, but it, it, it was this incredibly profound profound moment. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this ancient blood covenant ritual is relevant for us today. So if you remember, there was the, 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 the covenant ceremony began by having an exchange of jackets. And um, the cloak or the jacket or the mantle um, represented um, a person's personhood and their property. It was their, their identity. And what they would, they, what they would do, it, it, was, it was saying, all I am and all I have, I give to you. And as you wore that jacket, you were putting on, you'd be putting on my personhood. I would take your jacket and slip it on. And it was representing all that you have and all that you are. I embrace, I take that upon myself. And for us, what this means and what it corresponds to is it corresponds to the great exchange that took place at the cross when our garment of sin and our unrighteousness was placed upon Christ. And he wore our sin. He wore our unrighteousness. We gave that to him. Our sin, our mantle was placed upon Christ. That's wonderful. But what's even more exciting, in exchange for our unrighteousness, we received the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. That's a pretty great exchange, you know, um, it, 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 from my perspective. Because my garment was pretty messy. And Jesus willingly bore that and took that on my behalf and gave me his righteousness. Now, if you've been listening to me, if you've been in the church for um, the 15 months I've been here, I'm going to give you a test. And if you fail a test, you're in big trouble, you're out. In the pidgin English, the word righteousness means what? Oh, don't, don't do that to me, please. God, God say me all right. What is righteousness? It's God, he say me all right. God, he say me all right. Righteousness is to have as much right to stand in the presence of God as Jesus does right now. Isn't that incredible? I, I, you are never going to get more righteous than you are right now. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. You are as righteous as Christ is right now because of the exchange of mantles. I seem to be more excited about this than you do this morning. <laughs> I'll keep going anyway. The other thing is that the cloak also represented our property. All that I have is yours, and all that um, you have is mine. And this um, 
covenantal exchange that takes place helps um, explain what is a very, very difficult event which took place in Scripture in Genesis um, chapter 22. This event is called the binding of Isaac. And many, many people struggle with this verse where Abraham is asked by God to take his son and lay him upon an altar and to commit an act of violence against him. One interpretation of that, which is where I I lean to, is this. And I'm going to read um, this verse. uh, This verse is from Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Does that echo about somebody else? A relationship between another father and another son? And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Does that resonate with somebody else who was taken somewhere on a hill far away? On an old rugged cross? And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about on the third day. Does the third day have any significance? Yeah. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. You see, for three days, Abraham, in his heart of hearts, was dead to his son Isaac. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I, go, uh, while I and the boy go over there. This is so profound. We will worship and then we will come back. What, what might that infer? Resurrection. Abraham believed that he was going to have to slay his son. But he believed that God had the power to fulfill his promise that through Isaac all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he believed that God would be faithful and God would somehow raise Isaac, his son, from the dead. Abraham, listen to this one, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Was there another son that had wood, was placed on wood as a sacrifice? And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went to get on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to, so to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. And Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I've got goosebumps. Where, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Who is the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not, uh, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you will keep the covenant. 
because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its, its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the pl- that place the Lord will provide. And, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This scripture is rich in the Jesus story. And unless we understand covenant... We kind of see it as a way of even endorsing domestic violence, giving men the right to be abusive. But in this story, when we understand it in the, in, in the framework of covenant, when God says, Abraham, give me, give me your son, there's no Abraham doesn't argue, doesn't say, hold on a minute, God, this is a, way, a little bit too much. Abraham understands covenant. What is his covenant partners is his. And if God is asking for his son as a covenant partner, Abraham, out of love and loyalty, will respond and obey. And what took place was, this took place at a place called Mount Moriah which was a hill outside of what became Jerusalem. And on that very spot where Abraham was about to slay his son was the very spot, Calvary, where God took his son, laid him on wood as a sacrifice for sin but also as a place of cutting covenant with the human race. Do you get this? A covenant was cut at Calvary. The next thing that would take place in the um, the, Blood covenant ritual was the exchange of belts. And remember we talked about the belt was where you held your weaponry. And the belt symbolized a commitment to protect and defend our covenant partner. And for us, this corresponds to the fact that we never have to face a battle on our own. And there's a really interesting story in the book of, uh, book of Acts. We find Saul of Tarsus, who later became the great Paul the Apostle, And Saul um, is a passionate Jewish leader and he views Christians and this Christian sect that that is emerging as as being heretical. And so as a courtesy uh, to God, Saul takes it upon himself to outlaw Christianity. In Acts chapter 8 verse 3 it says that Paul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now who was Paul persecuting? Persecuting or Saul, who was Saul persecuting? Christians. He was persecuting men and women of God. Then Saul has this encounter, which we read of in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. It says that Saul near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, Replied, he replied. Hold on a minute. He was persecuting Christians. So then Jesus says, you're persecuting me. This only makes sense when we understand covenant. 
that to touch us is to touch Jesus, our covenant partner. Our life is bound up in the life of Christ. You see, Saul thought he was persecuting Christians, and he was, but they were also a people who were in covenant relationship with God through the covenant that was cut at Calvary. And their lives were united together with Christ, and to touch them was to touch Jesus. And so Jesus is with us in every battle that we face, in every difficult moment that you or I go through. He feels and he experiences our pain. He's there with us in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the challenge, whatever um, hell might uh, let loose on us. We don't face that in isolation. We have a blood covenant partner who stands together with us. And when, when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that is not theoretical. That is Christ's live lived reality. He experiences whatever it is that we experience. Thirdly, the sacrifice and the walking, the figure eight. That's where the animal was taken so eloquently, convivially, in fact, <laughs> expressed. Where that animal was taken and slain and... Um, there was space for the two parties to walk in that figure eight between the slain animal. And this corresponds to Jesus being our sacrifice and the guarantee of eternal life. In Romans 3 it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it's not just any kind of covenant, it is an eternal covenant. In Hebrews 13, it says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we enter into an eternal relationship with Christ or with God. It is an everlasting journey that we have embarked on. We were just talking, our ministry team were talking as we were kind of chatting through this stuff. Can you lose your salvation? We'll talk about that another time. But I, I hold to a covenantal theology that says, and I, I, Abraham is my model. I look at Abraham and my goodness me, because, you know, after this encounter in Genesis 15, there's Genesis 16. High point, Genesis 15, Genesis 16 is Abraham's low point. Hey, this is not about getting it all right. 
And I'm so pleased that I've entered into a covenant that's not reliant upon my behaviour. And then there was the cut in the hand. A couple of people walking through um, that slain animal would meet face to face in the centre of the sacrifice. They would make a cut in their hand or their wrist and their bloods would mingle. What does blood represent again? Life. And as we um, grip one another's hands or wrists, my blood flows out of me into my covenant partner and their blood flows out of them into me. Their life is imparted to me. My life is imparted to them. And we at that moment become one through blood. At that moment, in a covenantal um, um, agreement, we are considered to be legally one. And what this represents for us today is that we have been united together with Christ. We sang um, uh, Jesus, what a saviour, what a brother, what a friend. That's covenantal language. Remember the first message in the series, Abraham, or this, the series called Abraham, the friend of God. When we sing that song, we're singing from this place of we understand that we're in covenant relationship with the God of heaven. And Christ is our blood brother. In Romans 6, verses 3 to 8, it says, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old, life, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. You are one with Christ. And whatever happened to Jesus happened to you. If I can just give you an illustration. I've got a pen this is, what it, this is what it means to be in Christ. This, this pen is you. And I'm Jesus. I know that's not difficult to imagine. But <laughs> that's you. And I'm putting you in me. I'm Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, I go to the cross. Where are you? You're together with him. I go into the grave. Where are you? I rise from the dead. Where are you? You're joined. We're joined. Whatever happened to Christ because we were in Christ, whatever happened to him happens to us. He died. We died. He was buried. We were buried. He was raised. We were, we were raised. He will live eternally. We will live eternally. Why? because of a covenant that was cut at Calvary. Thank you for that amen. I love a little Pentecostal every now and again. <laughs> you know, this is Paul's big idea in, 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 in his epistles, in the letters that he wrote. He would talk about in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. What he's referring to is covenantal language. He got this 
thing of where, where it, whatever happened to Jesus happens to us. Our, uh, Colossians 3, verse 3, I think it is, it says, Our life is hidden together with God in Christ. Pretty special. In John 14, verse 20, Jesus said, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's blood covenant language. Would the helpers come and um, distribute communion? In Matthew chapter 11, um, verse that we're familiar with, Jesus said that, um, Come to me, all of you who are weary and um, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What Jesus is talking about here is in those days they would yoke together, they would join together an older, stronger ox with a young ox. And that, um, that old strong ox would carry all the weight and would do all the work. And that young ox that was joined to the older ox would think, hey, look at what I'm doing. Look at the field that I'm ploughing. Look at this. Isn't this aren't I fantastic what I'm accomplishing? But it wasn't really the young ox. He just happened to be yoked together with somebody bigger and stronger than they were. And that's what it means to live in covenant. We're yoked together with Christ. He's the big, strong one who does all the heavy lifting, who carries all the burdens, who does all the work. And we just happen to be in partnership together with him. The key to the Christian life is, I believe, um, learning to develop a covenantal lens that we learn to look at ourselves in relation to God through the, 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 the framework of oneness and partnership and shared life. I mentioned to you, this is, I became a Christian on a Friday night and on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, this is what I was taught. I was taught this, a brand new Christian. If anybody had looked at me, they would have said, that young guy will never make it as a Christian. They'll, ne- they'll ne- look, at, look at the mess that they've made of their life. Look at, look at who they are and where they've come from and what they've done. How will they ever succeed? I had a dramatic conversion experience. But a dramatic conversion experience is, is, isn't always a guarantee that you're going to keep walking with Jesus. But when this gets embedded into your life and when, you, when the penny drops, it changed everything for me. I just saw that I wasn't by myself anymore. I had a blood brother in Christ. That it wasn't dependent upon me doing all the work and all the heavy lifting. That was being done by Christ. I had a blood brother who had pledged themselves to me for all eternity. And I was going to mess up on the way, but I just got to pick myself up and dust myself off and keep going. I was thinking this morning, um, that set of tapes by a guy called Malcolm Smith, an Englishman called Malcolm Smith, six cassettes. Does anybody know what a cassette is? A tape? Yeah. For those who are young, 
what we're going to do, I'd, maybe we can get somebody who can put them onto CD, which is still a bit old-fashioned anyway, isn't it? But we'll get them. And if you want to... If you want to take those CDs and just digest this stuff, Malcolm Smith explains it over about nine hours, what we're trying to condense into about an hour and a half or two hours. But I want a community that gets this stuff because it's about identity, who I am in, in relationship with Christ. It messes with your head in a really, really good way. The heart of covenant is um, centred on our oneness with God through Christ. We now share a common life source. And because of the cuts in his wrist and in his feet and his side, the blood that was shed, you and I and our blood brothers with the God of heaven. God the Creator has cut a suzerain covenant with us. He came in love and mercy and reached out to us. And the only thing that God looks for in response is our ongoing love and loyalty and appreciation for what has been done for us. So, fellow blood brothers and sisters, let's drink of the cup together.